I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast part of the Athletic Hockey Show Network. Pierre, I feel I really need to speak quickly to you uh, because, A, I'm afraid that you will just leave the podcast to take a call on breaking news, and also because there are like 10,000 moving parts as we are taping this uh, a few days away from the expansion, uh, Seattle expansion list having to be prepared by the 30, 30 other teams, not 31 because Vegas out, but 30 other teams every day, buyouts, changes, trades. Uh, let me ask you, how are you doing? I, I worry about your mental health. Are you doing okay? <laughs> uh, yes, I'm fine because you know why? I'm looking at my calendar, and every day that goes by, I'm closer to a long getaway. That's that's what gets me up in the morning, my friend. Uh, that's good. Well, I know your phone is ringing nonstop, and I, I honestly, like, I'm looking at the list. I'm looking, and literally, I, I, I don't know where to start. Not you know, let's just let's throw a dart. But of the probably ten monster news events of the last week, since it feels like you and I haven't spoken in a month, but I, I am really curious. Uh, news sort of breaking out of uh, Quebec, Montreal overnight. Uh, real concerns about Shea Weber and the Montreal Canadiens captain and his ability. Mm -hmm. um, his his health moving forward and whether he'll be able to play next season and what that means for the expansion exposure list and all those kinds of things. Did 
you did you have a sense that this might have been in the offing, or uh, or what's your what's your take on how this is unfolding with uh, you know, one of the one of the great warriors of the game? Yeah, I did have a sense to some degree. Uh, I sort of got word uh, early yesterday morning that uh, to be on the lookout potentially, but. I don't know that I thought that it would be this severe. And again, I want to be careful, Scott, because we're, you know, Shea Weber is still, you know, I suspect will undergo more tests and I, and I think probably get a, another opinion. And so got to be careful not to uh, speculate too far here. For sure. But what I can certainly say uh, with, uh, you know, with confidence is that, you know, there's, there's a decent chance that uh, he's not available to play next year. Um, there are, you know, short-term concern is a thumb that somehow played through a really damaged thumb throughout the playoffs and was shooting the puck. Like the guy's pain tolerance is ridiculous, but also long-term concerns for that ankle that you remember he had surgery on a few years ago and also the knee. So it's really a hat trick of concerns for, for Shea Weber. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why the Canadians uh, haven't come out and said anything yet, uh, Officially, is I think that Jay Weber needs you know needs to seek more intel here in terms of next steps. Uh, we certainly wish him the best. I mean, it's just incredible to me what a warrior that guy is. But um, you know, in, in in the here and now, the business of the game continues. It has some huge impact on, on decisions for the Montreal Canadiens because, for one, um, it really doesn't make any sense to protect them for the expansion draft, right? Uh, right. He's not going to be a player next year. Um, and it means that, you know, I think the debate internally for the halves was whether they would have to protect 4D and go eight skaters to make sure they don't lose Ben Chirot and, and therefore only protect four forwards. That was the initial thought, I think. And now they can probably go 7-3-1, which I suspect they will, and um, and leave whoever exposed. And, you know, why would Seattle pick him at this point? Um so all those ramifications, of course, you don't replace Shea Weber in your lineup, but I'm sure the Habs will look at the market and at least, you know, depth-wise or whatever, look at what's out there. Um, so, yeah, just a lot to digest. And my sense of the situation is, is that GM Mark Bergman probably went into this week crossing his fingers that, okay, maybe we won't have Shea till December or January, let's say, because of his ailments, but we'll still get him back in time for the second half next year or at least the playoffs. But Obviously, after my understanding is after Shea Weber saw the doc on Wednesday that uh, the Habs got the news in the evening that it was you know worse than they thought. So, yeah, that's a real body blow for the Montreal Canadiens. Well, and and the ripple effect, if and again because we're so early in this process, but obviously the league will be involved, uh, taking a look at what you know what happens to Shea Weber and. Um, you know, he's got he's got a a contract with a cap hit of seven eight five seven through twenty five twenty six. So there's there's lots there's lots outstanding there. At what happens? You know, there is a potential for a cap recatcher right with Nashville. Um, yeah, it doesn't really and, you know, that part doesn't really affect Montreal. Uh, no, now. it's yeah. now I don't have it in front of me, but even for Nashville, they changed the cap recapture rule in the new CBA extension. To mitigate some of that impact, by the way, uh, right. I don't know if you remember that, but but there still is some. I just don't have it in front of me. That's more yeah. of a Nashville. But the thing is, Scotty, that's only if he retires, right? Yeah, of course. Th- these guys rarely retire. Like Brent Seabrook, I don't know if people realize this. Brent Seabrook didn't retire, right? Right. 
Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. he's still getting paid the rest of his deal. You know, he'll have to fail a physical every year and then still gets paid and the Hawks have to carry him on LTIR. Right. Like, so I think, now again, I think Shea Weber probably still hopes to come back and play whenever he can. And I don't think there's any decisions yet on that way on his future, although there may be at some point. Yeah. But let's say Shea Weber doesn't play another game the rest of his career, which you can't discount as a possibility. I don't think he's going to retire. I think he's... Right, why would you? Right. Yeah. And so my point is the cap recapture only comes into play for retirement. Right, yes. Which is why yeah. it's only happened once, in a, as, as far as I can tell, since the rule came into place in 2012, Roberto Luongo, right? Right. Right. He uh, actually right. retired and <laughs> delivered a blow to the Vancouver Canucks in the cap recapture. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. But yeah, so Shea Weber next year was slated to make $6 million. Now, his cap is 7.85. We were slated to make $6 million next year, which he will still make, by the way. I don't know why I said was. Yeah, he will he make will. $6 million. Um, but then it, it it was one of those old crazy deals from the previous uh, CBA that the, the Flyers offer sheet goes down exactly. to $3 million in 22-23. And then one, one, and one the final three years, which, you know, we always figured would probably, you know, depending on how he felt physically, I don't know that he, he was ever going to come back and play for a million dollars. But although the guy is the ultimate competitor, he, 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 he might just to tell everyone fooled you. Um, so we'll see where all this goes, but uh, but the question is, if he indeed can't play next year, which is again all indications that we're getting right now, does he come back to play for three million dollars in twenty two twenty three? So a lot, you know, a lot to go through here for Shea Weber. Again, we wish him the best. Uh, yes, you know, uh, ultimate warrior. A uh, lot, a lot to go through here, and but I think it starts with getting some more answers on his health. I think. Couldn't agree more about uh, Shea Weber and, and really, really the, the prime focus should be about his health and, and what is best for he and his family. And um, But it does, listen, I, I got so excited about talking about the breaking events. I forgot to mention Pierre. Uh, we're going to have some great guests today. We've got Andre Tourigny. I, I know you coach me on the pronunciation of New Andre Arizona. Yes, the new head coach of the Arizona Coyotes is going to join us. And... Two-time Stanley Cup champion GM Dean Lombardi, now senior advisor to Chuck Fletcher with the Philadelphia Flyers, is going to drop by. I already I, we haven't even talked to Dean yet, but I already feel smarter because I know that that's going to be great. But uh, before we get to Andre uh, Pierre, it, it seems like there's a, a theme with the defense when we talked about Shea Weber uh, since you and I spoke. Uh, future Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer, I think is a guaranteed. Duncan Keith going to Edmonton. Ryan Suter bought out along with his longtime pal, Zach Parise, both bought out by the Minnesota Wild. And I think as you and I were just starting to tape this podcast, Florida Panther, Panthers um, confirming, or I think you were able to confirm that they will be buying out another veteran defenseman, Keith Yandel. Mm-hmm. By uh, the time this podcast is posted, that will have already been announced. should be announced around okay. uh, yeah. noon Eastern. So. Yeah, it, it just... Now, is are there things? Let's just take that as a as a group. Are there things that you're like, geez, I did not see that coming, or, um, you know, what what what's your take on all of that? Because it, those are significant moves in and of themselves. But I think also when you take them as a whole, it really does have the potential to change the landscape, you know, across the NHL and in, in in terms of those caliber of players being available. Yeah, I, I think the difference uh, from this process to the Vegas one that I can see so far is that teams had way more uh, runway to prepare for this one. 
Like, if you remember, the Vegas thing happened pretty quick and the rules were new and teams are scrambling. So, two things. Teams have had more time to prepare for Seattle. And two, one of the lessons from the Vegas one was don't give your players no move clauses because it really (laughs) ties your hands for your protection list. So, fewer no move clauses have been given out in the last three years since Vegas entered the league, which is another impact on this process for Seattle. And really, until we have this brutal global pandemic, which has changed your lives forever. Seattle was really up against it. And because teams have more time to prepare, because they learned their lessons, because they weren't going to overthink it and make dumb deals. But then the pandemic did hit. And now we have a flat cap. And that overnight changed a lot of leverage here and has given Seattle the opportunity to, frankly, extort, I think, some side <laughs> deals between now and yeah. You know, whenever they can get them done, um, you know, teams have until Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern to submit their protection list. But I think Ron Francis is going to be able to do well on a number of fronts, you know, to get draft picks and potentially prospects um, because teams are just at the cap. They have no cap room. Well, we, we talked about, you know, what Tampa is going to do. And I know you addressed that in your discussion with Julian Breezebois, the, the GM there. Very, and very candid discussion, I thought. Uh, and I thought, good on you for asking about Steven Stamkos. I, an absolutely legitimate question. But it, there are a lot of teams that are going to be in, well, they're going to have very difficult decisions to make. And, and that moment circle back to the Minnesota Wild. I mean, those, you know, Bill Guerin, it, it, you know, the, I don't know whether it's easy or not, but, you know, the, you know, the path of least resistance is, you know, maybe you buy out Zach Parise because we saw at the end that, um, you know, that uh, his role with the Wild had diminished, but certainly Ryan Suter is still playing top four minutes, uh, but to buy both of them up, that's, those are, those are big, hard, long ranging decisions. So, And and I was, I was, you know, I I didn't think Zach Parise would be back in one form or another. I don't know how they were going to do it. So I wasn't as surprised by by that with with all due respect. I mean, I think he can still help a team, but not at that salary and, and, and not in that fit. But I was, I was not, I did not see Ryan Suter coming. I mean, that really did surprise me. And I get it. I mean, when, when you hear Bill Guerin explain it, I understand where they're coming from. And probably the part that he didn't say that I'll say it is, you know, I think those two guys have been the two leading voices in that room for many years. And I think part of this, too, is probably in changing the roster over is also changing the locker room leadership voices over. Yeah. And I think that's part of this, too. Yeah. No, I I agree entirely. Um but uh, I, we're going to take a break, Pierre. Still lots of news to catch, too, but uh, we'll catch it up later in the podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
All right. As promised, great to be joined now by new Arizona Coyotes head coach, Andre Tourigny. Pierre, just before Andre, how'd I do? Because uh, you know how you, you coach me on the uh, on the accents. How'd we do, how'd we do there? Not bad, mon ami. Not bad. Andre, thank you for joining us. And, and maybe just, I mean, I don't know where you are right now, but maybe tell us a bit about the transition as you get ready to, to take on the head coaching job in Arizona. It must be, must be a crazy time for, for you and your family, but where are you at? And, and what's the transition been like since you, since you took the job? Uh, it was a, it's a lot of, a uh, lot of work for sure. Uh, I'm in Ottawa right now. I came back uh, last, uh, Last Friday, came back home last Friday after uh, a little bit of time in in, the, in Arizona. I had to come back here, wait for my visa. Soon my visa will be uh, will be done. I'm I'm going back to uh, Arizona. Um, so right now, like you know, uh, the expansion draft, the draft, the um, the the free agency. So a lot of uh, video watching, uh, video communication with uh, Bill about. Um, possible move, other player from other team, and different stuff. So, uh, really busy, but uh, exciting and uh, a lot of fun as well. Uh, really important to say, and we're working and uh, building our staff and uh, make, making sure we uh, we have the best staff as possible. That's super important. So, uh, working on that as well. Andre, I think it's so fascinating uh, the decision that you were faced with, and, and I always say it's good that. It, it, there are hard decisions, but there are also good hard decisions to have. Yeah, it's good to be wanted. And here you are with, with a rather unique uh, a job at Hockey Canada um, yeah. where you're going to be part of the Olympic staff when you took this thing. Uh, another World Juniors, you would have been head coach for the Men's Worlds next spring. Like it was yeah. a really good gig at Hockey Canada. And yet out of nowhere, and, and I'm, you correct me if I'm wrong, you're probably thinking after you do that with Hockey Canada, maybe the calls will start coming in terms of yeah. NHL head coach had coaching opportunities but lo and behold the nhl had coaching opportunity comes <laughs> halfway through your hockey canada gig so so what was that like for you to have to balance that you know that's that's where it's different than playstation the real life is uh, pretty different <laughs> you, you cannot time everything you know it's uh it, you're right it was uh it was a really good situation it was, or it was a good problem to have if you want in the sense of the olympics it's a dream it's um you know, representing my country always been something super special. Didn't want to go back at the World Junior. I, it, everything I wanted, I had it. I could have it in the sense of the World Junior in charge, the World Championship in charge, going at the Olympic, uh, presenting your country. I would have been phenomenal. But when when I uh, had, had the chance to be with Shane Doan at the World Championship, Ask him a million questions about the ownership in Arizona, about the organization, about the vision, about what they wanted to to accomplish there, and what was the plan. And then the, the interview process started. Talked to Bill. I had a good connection with Bill Armstrong and uh, meet uh, Alex Jr. and Javier Gutierrez and the people there. I felt I I felt good with those people. I felt the connection was good. So then the, that is where the the wheels start to spin and you say, okay, there's 32 jobs. There, there's there's 8 billion people on that planet and there's 32 of those jobs. Right. So at some point I was kind of a, 
that's what I want to be. That's what I want to do. I want to be an NHL head coach. And there's an opportunity with people I trust with an organization. Uh, I, I had a good, uh, good connection. So I, I, it was I, as much as it was tough at the end, it was a no brainer for me. Wow. Uh, Andre, I'm curious about, you know, what kind of, you know, when your discussions with Bill Armstrong, because if I think back to the the last draft, when he came over from St. Louis, it wasn't really, you know, he couldn't really take part. And so this, this is his first true go through in, in, in yeah. building this team. And I wonder if that's appealing to you that sort of you and Bill will, will sort of grow up with this team because it's my sense is yeah. this is going to be a, a different looking team uh, next season, younger. Uh, and I wonder how appealing that was to you to to sort of be in on the it's not quite the ground floor, but it's it, it, my sense is this team is is really going to be looking a lot different moving forward. That's a, that's a really good point, Scott. I, I did like the vision of Bill. You know, the um, I, I've been I've been engineer, but I've been GM long, long time. And for me, what's important is to have to have a plan. You know, to to have a destination, kind of you. you I, I, that's the part I like about Bill. It was not about okay, we uh, we we want to want to be a good team every year. It's more than that. He wants to to have a, a championship team, a team who will uh, win uh, on a consistent basis. So it's not about uh, it's not about okay, let's let's do the best we can this year, and we'll see for next year. It's about build having sitting together, building a plan, and looking. Uh, at a big picture and saying, okay, where, what's the destination? What's the, how long it will take? What's the plan there? The, the map, map it out and uh, making a tough decision after that, because it, everybody wants to win. The, I never met anybody in hockey or sports who said, oh, you know, if we win, it's all right. If we don't, no, no big deal. No, everybody wants to win. We, I want to win. Everybody wants to win. Now it's how are we willing to take the hard decision, make the, the hard move in order to have a execute the plan and have the, the final destination, get get at the final destination. So uh, if you look around the league, if you look Tampa Bay, one day they had to take the really hard decision and make really a hard move who lead to that Stanley Cup back-to-back team. So uh, I, I didn't want to be a part of a program who had the same willingness and same vision to take those hard decisions. And Andre, I'm wondering if you, you've sought out advice from fellow coaches around the game about, you know, entering your first NHL head coaching position. Uh, you know, uh, there, a lot of people have gone through it, uh, you know, the, yeah. the lessons learned. I'm wondering if you're using the offseason to maybe reach out to some guys that way. Absolutely. I, d- I did that. I, I I talk with coach and GM as well. I, I, you know, the, the the beauty of being part of a hockey Canada, you make friends every year in the sense of, you know, you're at the U18, you uh, you are with all the, the the guys for the draft, the best prospects. So suddenly the the, the, the GM and the NHL they call you because they want to have your opinion on character, attitude, player evaluation, all of it. So I had a. I knew I knew enough guys who I can call and ask opinion and, and uh, opinion on the roster, opinion on the, the organization, opinion on how I should conduct my business, how I should do my thing, and I gather uh, enough information. But at the same time, Pierre, on that, 
as much as uh, I really enjoyed the opinion and a lot of people that there, there's a reason or there's a way I do my thing. And then I am who I am. Mm. I don't want to change because you're in the NHL. The same thing for a player. If you're a player, you get to the NHL, you don't arrive in the NHL and say, okay, now I will change. Now I will be a different player. That normally doesn't, doesn't fly really high. It doesn't go through really well. So I, I am who I am. I have my, uh, my my leadership still style, my communication style that won't change. It's just uh, like I always did. I want to be better every day. I try to be better, and it's there's a few things I need to keep getting better at to in order to become the best best coach I can be. Uh, Andre, I think people understand that you have an uh, an incredible record coaching some of the top young players uh, in Canada at all kinds of different levels. But uh, people may not know that you do have some NHL experience uh, uh, working both with uh, the Avalanche in Colorado and Ottawa with the Senators. And I wonder how important you feel those experiences were with with what you're going to do now, because the (laughs) the line in the sand is, is pretty clear between an assistant and an associate coach and yeah. the head coach. How, what do you think you learned in terms of those experiences? You know what? I, I like to, uh, communication is a big thing for me. And I, I like to talk with player And my first experience in Colorado, you know, the, we can say whatever we want, but we're before the season, we sit in the, the coach's office and we talk about how we want to do our thing. The head coach is Patrick Arwa, four Stanley Cup, uh, all of Famer sit right by me, six inches beside me. You have Adam Foote, whose jerseys retire, won two Stanley Cup, one gold medal for Canada, and about every event he went, including the Olympics. Then you have Joe Sakic, all of Famers. There's, yeah, I can talk about him all day. And then you have Tim Army, who's coach, been assistant coach for Tazen game in the NHL. And you have Mario. So there's those people who you share with them and you, you talk about coaching philosophy, you talk about player, you talk about what kind of team we want to have in success, be successful on the what and stuff like that. And then you go with the player, but the abs have been really fortunate because if you look at the player, we had it from Jerome McGinley, from Paul Stastny, Ryan O'Reilly and Alex Tangay played thousand game in the NHL, win the, win the cop, Danny Briere, Corey Sarich and, and I can go on and on and, and you know, those guys who are were veteran, Brad Stewart, another guy, Tossin Games, Stanley Cup winner, who they know they know they've been there, they they've been in the trenches, they uh, they know the game and talk a lot with those guys and you learn from from the players or the coaches you you work with. And I think that was that was huge for me to learn about uh, how what they like, what they don't like, and how to communicate with those guys and uh, how much you can trust those guys, pick their brain and uh, go into, you, you need to have a philosophy as, in the, as a team, as a coach, as an organization, but you can, you can as well uh, communicate and uh, sell your message by a fair and uh, legit communication with those guys. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. And I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on, 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 you know, the modern game on the day? And, and it's funny because I think that, you know, we've got more information at our disposal than ever, obviously, with with, yeah. uh, with analytics and how you translate the analytics in front of you and how you use that at your disposal. And yet these NHL playoffs, there's a lot of old school, you yeah. know, big defensemen uh, bringing us back in time a bit with, with the way that they, 
that, you know, Tampa's big boys, Montreal's big boys, the Islanders and Vegas. Um, and, And I think that's what I love about the game is that you continue to modernize and use the info at hand, but you also remember that, Come playoff time, uh, (laughs) there's still an element of grit there. So, what's your thought on all that? That's it. I I think exactly like you. We all want to be sexy. We all want to find a new great thing, the new be a kind of a innovative and all of it. But at the end of the day, when the playoffs start, there's no secret. Everybody knows what the opponent will do. You know what you have to do, and now it's about execution. It's about heart. It's about willingness. You know that there's. I, I often say that it's one thing in the NHL to make the playoff, and it's another thing to to be built for the playoff. It's two different things. And if you're you're built for the playoff too much, you're not not sure you will make the playoff. So yeah, interesting. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's the balance you must have. But at the same time, those those professional player. They want to win, and I don't have to go in the room in, uh, in Arizona and uh, talk about how Tampa, how well they play defensively, and how hard the battle. Our guys know that. They, if you know that, Gare, if you know that, Scott, if I know that, don't you think they know? They right. watch the playoff as much as we did. They uh, they follow that. They know. So that's that's what changed, in my opinion. If you look over the years. Every player wants to be good defensively now. There, there's, there's 99% of the player in the NHL or probably 100% of the player in the NHL know how important it is. Now it's to have that drive, that motivation to do it every game, every day, and to try to get as close as possible from the perfection in, the, in that aspect. And I think the next step in the game is really to um, to make all those details offensively, skill-wise, to be able to um, to get the next inch to, uh, to take advantage of your of your opponent. But uh, uh, I think the commitment to play defensively, uh, the player knows that. Now it's to have the motivation to do it every day. That is where we need to build an environment, a culture where – our player has that motivation to do it on a daily basis. Yeah. Andre, you were talking about Shane Dome. We had Shane on the podcast uh, a few months ago and after he'd uh, taken up his new position with the organization. And, and we talked a lot about, you know, what the, the work that needs to be done in that community. And I know ownership is is committed to uh, to really sort of broadening the appeal of the game in in the uh, in Arizona and certainly in the Phoenix area. And I wonder if, if, if you and Bill have talked about that, because, uh, you know, what kind of role there might be for you in that and it may be different than what you've experienced before in your coaching experiences where it's it's not just the team it's how the team connects to the community i don't know if that makes any sense and i wonder you know what's that like for you to to sort of you know head into that kind of dynamic that's that's a really good point scott i i believe i saying i believe in that it's an understatement i think uh being i've been try to my career i've been an owner in a, in a junior team here in the, with the 67s i was uh i was a vp hockey ops and you know what what you want you want your fans to be in love with your with your player with your team and you want the other way around as well you want your player to be in love with your city with your fans but it, you need to create that connection and you need to 
as a team, we need to be involved in the community. And that was, uh, yes, that was something in the interview process with the ownership, with uh, our CEO, Javier, uh, with donor, with, with Bill. We talk about that, how important it is for our team, for our player to have that connection with our fans because we, how you create a pride and feeling of belonging, how, how you do that, you know, the, it's it's by being emotionally involved in your community and being emotionally involved with your teammates and et cetera, et cetera. There's many things, but one of those is being, being involved in the community and taking pride in that, 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 that involvement. And I believe in that. And I, we want in Arizona, our fans to be, to love our player and to be proud of their team. And it's, the other way around is true. We want our player to be, to to uh, to love our fans and to be to love our city and all of it. It's it's already there. I, I've been lucky to uh, to talk with all the player and uh, to to talk about uh, what they think of uh, Arizona and the, the the city and the environment. They uh, they really love to play in Arizona. So. Uh, that we just have to keep going and keep building that pride and that feeling of belonging. And uh, Andre, my, my last question before we let you go, and thanks so much for, for spending time with us on the podcast today. Um, I, I just want to follow up and and dot the I's and cross the T's on, on the first question I asked you, but, I, but I, I've learned never to assume anything because it makes me look like an ass if I do that. Um, but, uh, but but I take it that by by taking the job and leading Hawk Canada, so you're not going to make time within the Coyote job to do one of the international events, I guess. Right. So, so no, that's, no, okay. I, okay. I, I, you know, it's, um, that, that was before I, we went too far in the, the process with, with the Yotes. That's something I, I thought long and hard. And, you know, like I said, there's 32 of those jobs in the world. Mm-hmm. There's, you, you cannot dip your toes. I, I don't want to, I'm all in with with the Yotes. I, I want to make sure I do everything I can to be successful, and I will put the time. and I, I don't want my focus to be divide or whatever. So right. uh, it, it's uh, it's an important stage in my my life, my career, and I want to be 100 percent focused on it. Totally get it for sure. Good. Andre, I have just one quick question. You mentioned talking to the players, and uh, I wondered what your conversations were like with Captain Oliver Ekman Larson. A lot of discussion about, you know, what's going to happen with his future, which is beyond your pay grade, I assume. But I wondered if you'd had a chance to talk to Oliver and, and maybe what that conversation was like. Absolutely, I met with Oliver, and we had a we had a great conversation. We worked together for about three, four year, four hours, and uh, we went through. We talked about. Uh, the team and the leadership and how one to run thing and what was his opinion and uh, what's uh, the team and what it, how he likes it and what do you think we can uh, we can get the best of our team and in which way and stuff like that we had a great conversation and i think and he's a, he's a really smart guy so i'm excited to uh, to work with him like like i told him i said last time i played against you you were the best player on the ice and uh, i'm super excited <laughs> to be on on the right side of it now so uh, i'm excited to have oliver with us good good stuff well as pierre said uh, andre we wish you the absolute best in arizona and thank you for taking the time it's a it's an incredibly busy time for you as you get ready for this new challenge but thank you for coming to hang out with us and and best of luck uh, to you in arizona thanks a lot guys
looking forward to the next chat. Merci, André. Thank you. Merci. Merci, boys. Uh, that was uh, that was really a, a terrific conversation, Pierre. And I, I don't know Andre, and I don't know whether you've crossed paths with him, and you know, with the with your work. But uh, I just uh, it just seems like a good fit for a team that man that they, they need some they they need to take some traction, get some traction. And and uh, it strikes me that Andre is a guy that that maybe this is how it happens, right? Between he and Bill Armstrong, that this is where this team starts to arc in the in the right way for the first time in a long time. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I wrote this last week after talking to Bill Armstrong and to Kevin Adams about their respective coaching hires. There was so many similarities. I think we talked about this last week. But, again, the idea here is that this wasn't a coaching hire in Andre Turingi for the next two years. I mean, obviously it is. But what my point is, this is a, more about a long-arcing process of where right. you have someone that's going to grow with the organization and grow with this rebuild. And that's why... I think it's a it's a really smart, you know, you want to call it a gamble because a lot of people didn't see this hire coming. But my point is, I think what the Coyotes are doing is if you hire a veteran coach and we're tearing down this roster for a couple of years, there might be some frustration. I think by bringing in a guy like Andre Turingi, who's obviously his track record is, is sparkling with young players, you're, you're, you're playing the long game. And I think it's a good bet. Good point. All right, my friend, we're going to take a break. And as promised, we will come back with, speaking of smart, another incredible hockey brain. We'll be chatting with uh, two-time Stanley Cup champion GM Dean Lombardi. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a Summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. It, I, we, I've been so excited about this, Pierre. As promised, we are joined by Dean Lombardi, former GM of the LA Kings, won two Stanley Cups, and in between went to a Western Conference Final. So pretty darn good run there. Dean, thanks for joining us, and uh, I, I hope you're doing well. Are you, are you, you're not out in the barn, you're not out on the range. Where, where are you at right now? Uh, actually, I'm in uh, California right now, or... Uh, we got a lot of work to do here. We got some big meetings this week, so I got a lot of cramming to do. So you guys <laughs> well, better make this worth my while here because well, you know, you're cutting into my time for Chuck. I know. Well, and I I I don't want you to get in trouble with uh, Chuck Fletcher of the Philadelphia Flyers, but this is so great. So right off the top, we're going to play you a clip. Our good uh, pal Mike Russo in Minnesota was talking to Bill Guerin, GM of the Minnesota Wild, who Pierre and I were just talking about. So uh, we're going to play this little clip for you, which I, he uh, breaks some news. I did not realize this, but here's the clip. Dean Lombardi is from Springfield, Mass. Yep. I've known Dino since I was a kid, and he was actually going to be my agent before Bob Murray, who, who's my longtime agent. 
because Dean played for the same junior coach that I played for in Springfield. Mm -hmm. So I, it was all set. He was going to be my agent. And then Jack Ferrara hired him as the assistant GM in, in uh, Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, so, with the North Stars. So I had to go and find a new Bob agent. Bob Holford's uh, uh, son-in-law? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, brilliant guy. Yeah. Like, brilliant guy. Great yep. guy. <laughs> All right. So, I, Dean, I had no idea of this. You you could have been on a completely other different career arc, and I assume it was because you didn't want to deal with Bill Guerin, and that was why you <laughs> went off in another direction. Uh, actually, I should have stuck with Billy because I probably would have made a lot more money considering the players <laughs> are making today. But um, yeah, he's a he's a good old faithful Bog boy. That's what we call the Springfield area, the Bog. And you know, he was a good one. I think uh, you know one of my claims to fame though was he broke my scoring records. So you know, here's a guy that was one of the top power forwards in the league for a long time. And uh, you know, I was telling Bobby Clark the other day we were talking. I says, "Yep." Uh, well, Billy Garen broke my records. So everybody goes, "Woo! You must have been a pretty good player." Said, yeah, yeah. Problem is, I didn't tell. I don't tell people that it took me three years to put up those numbers, and he did it in one year. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's one of those caveats you just don't throw out there. You kind of leave it on the front end, and everybody says, "Ooh, this guy must have been pretty good." So yeah. I think he did it in like sixty games. It took me two hundred. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Now, Dean, just so our listeners, uh, you know, our listeners certainly uh, have probably not heard a lot from you, um, you know, uh, which is, of course, I think the way you like it. You've kept a low profile since uh, joining the Flyers organization uh, after uh, after leaving L.A. as GM. And maybe you could just describe for our, our listeners, Dean, what your work has been like for, uh, for uh, you know, for Chuck Fletcher. Well, um you know, the transition's been really good. Um, one of the things I don't think people realize um, in the GMC, it, it's a 24-7 job. Um, and there's so many things involved today that until you're in that seat, I don't think people realize. And, and also people forget that you're not only building a hockey team, that when you look at an organizational chart today that is so um, has so many more people than when I started in the business, it can be a full-time job managing people. And what you notice sometimes is you actually, um, you almost don't have enough time to concentrate on the game. And, you know, Harry Sinden said a long time ago, the most important thing for a GM is to know players. And it became harder and harder. Like I said, I think I was, my, my three years in Philly, uh, prior to going to L.A., where arguably, you know, I look back on is, um, some of the best years of my career for two reasons. Uh, one, um, you know, before I went to Philly, I was in San Jose, and I, I think I knew how to build a team. But after three years with Bobby Clark and being with the Flyers, I knew how to build a winner. And the other thing hmm. that, you know, because I was just scouting, it was three years where I really knew the players around this league really well. I had a good handle on what was out there and um, what players could do and what players fit. So, you know, and as you go along in your career, there's so many things involved and you're managing up, you're managing your owner, you're managing the 60, 70 people below you, the scouts, the trainers, the players, the coaches. But sometimes you get away from the game. And, you know, I made a decision, um, I think one of the 
I've always loved the Flyers. Mr. Schneider and, and Bobby Clark arguably saved my career. And um, there was an element of, I think, I owe them. And I love working. They've always been a family-type atmosphere. There's no politics, no BS. And, um, and the key was when I went there, I said, look, I'll be a senior advisor. That's fine. I mean, when, when things on the big macro picture are up, I think, you know, your experience can certainly help um, the GM out. But it also allowed me to focus totally on hockey. And, and that's what I really love to do. Um, I, you guys have known I've been fascinated by stats. And I've, also been, I've always been fascinated by the way to integrate the stats with what the eye test is. I think that's something that it's, become, it, it's gotten too separate. You saw that in Moneyball where there's a, there seems to be a line between those two. And I, I don't think it needs to be there. Mm. And that's a lot of work. It's a, it's a lot of thought. I got some brilliant kids there that, that I love working with. They keep me young, but it also, I love getting out in the ring still. I do mostly minor league scouting and I love sitting up in the corner and watching those young, the next uh, breed of young players. So, um, and Chuck Fletcher is a tremendous guy to work for. Um, you know, we have a lot of work to do there and I think this guy's going to get us out of it. So everything's been going great. Good. Dean, I, I'm so curious because you mentioned the, you know, the evolution of the game and, and what goes into it. And, I, and it seems it's not that long ago that when you were in L.A. and you had that run from 12 to 14, that was just incredible. But I wonder when you think about what we just witnessed with uh, Tampa and uh, what Julian Brisebois has done taking over for Steve Eiserman, it, it does it look different now than what you were doing like has, has the landscape changed that much it's not that many, much time in years but it feels at least to me a little bit that that the game is completely different but maybe you view it differently I, i'm not sure well you know I, you're absolutely right scotty um you know that old saying too is think as soon as you think you've got everything figured out then you're an idiot and um <laughs> There's no question, um, in particularly a situation where we are in uh, our own team now, kind of like in the middle. Um, and I've asked myself this, and the thing I find fascinating um, is Vegas. I think that's your um, landmark for the question you're asking of the traditional way to build a win. So guys like me and Chuck and guys of our ilk, uh, we grew up idolizing Bill Torrey, Harry Sinden, Chuck, um, Cliff Fletcher. Um, and for the most part, it was standard fare. You had to build through the draft. Um, what Vegas has done, I find fascinating. Because arguably, they don't have one core player that was drafted. That's unheard of. Um, the only analogy I come up, I don't know if you guys remember the old Redskins with George Allen when he took the Hogs and he brought in a, a, all veteran players right. and I, uh, went on to the Super Bowl. Um, that's the only analogy I could come up with. Now, these guys in Vegas aren't that old. But when you look at the way they put that together, that throws out the traditional model that we all grew up with, which is, you know, what can Tampa is, right? All those top picks, Hedman, Stamkos, great middle round picks. Uh, they had to go through that process of, uh, be, you know, learning to play in the league. And then they get in their late 20s, they learn to win in the league. Um, Vegas throws that all out. 
And so you ask yourself, say, okay, are you a dinosaur? Thinking that in a 31-team league with a cap now, which totally changes the landscape uh, from the old Bill Torrey days, that um, you you, you got to adapt. I mean, it's the old saying, you don't adapt in a new environment, you die. So I, you know, I'm trying to figure that out. But I find that fascinating, that you bring in a Pacioretty, a Stone, a Fleury, a Petrangelo, and a Carlson. Now, one of those players in your top core have been drafted. Right. So what is the right model um, today? I, I think it's a hybrid. But as I you know, started this off, if, if you think you have the answer to all this now, um, you're full. And these are the things that we have to look at. I think you have to micromanage now every little thing. Fit now is critical, you know, because you can't accumulate the talent that you used to under the old drafting mechanism. I mean, arguably, if you look back in history, you could make the case that the greatest hockey ever played was the, those conference finals between Colorado, Detroit, and Dallas. I mean, those teams were unbelievable. They had 10 Hall of Famers on every team, on each team. Right. You, you yeah. look at the matchups, you know, Fedorov, Eisenman, Sackick, Forsberg, Neuendijk, McDonald, Zuboff on the back, Bohr, Lidstrom, Pop Golton, Huffness. Well, 10 Hall of Famers on each team, good luck trying to keep that team together. That payroll would be $200 million today. Well, I, I, I might argue, Dean, the Battle of Alberta in the 80s between the <laughs> Gretzky's guys and Al McInnes's guys, but I get your point, yeah. Yeah, well. The, those teams are pretty deep in Hall of Famers, too, in Calgary and Edmonton. But. Yeah, no, I, you're, you're at, well, Edmonton, I just throw out. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah. that, that, you know, that goes back to some of the things I'm also seeing that is always held true. And I think, again, Tampa is a great example of a traditional way to come up where all those top players learn to play in the league, and then they get 26, 27, okay, it's time to win. Right. That's traditionally what's happened. Edmonton throws that out. I mean, I did the studies on this um, that still hold. Um, the only team that ever won a, uh, a championship with the number of guys they had 24 and under, and I think it was eight, was Edmonton. Hmm. And, okay, good. Let's use that model. Well, look at the name. <laughs> yeah. I mean, give me a break. I yeah. mean, but, 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 but even the Vegas, uh, the Vegas example is, uh, I find it fascinating what you're talking about there. But, but, but don't you just, you got to be careful because, I mean, they are a bit of a unicorn. I mean, they, they're an expansion team and, and got access and did an, an amazing job maneuvering with their assets and leverage. But you can't really duplicate what Vegas did because they started with zero players. Uh, yes. Well, then I'd come back to kind of what I said. Is it a hybrid though? Right. That, uh, right. It, it, they've shown that again, I think that would have been unheard of. I mean, God, I was part of an expansion team in San Jose and look at the, uh, we had to us, but we were also going up against Dallas and Detroit and Colorado. <laughs> well, right. um, so I, I, I mean, the other thing I'll say that I think is going on here and I, um, you know, George McPhee and I, when we were both GMs, we're, we're pretty uh, close. We thought the same way. George is a really honest guy. I think he's, he's brilliant. Uh, obviously, you know, he's not the GM anymore. But I remember talking to him uh, when they went on their run. And 
they this is the, the big underestimated thing too that there's no cap on culture and everybody talks culture right let's put up pictures in the room here let's put up some slogans you know let's mm-hmm. give a speech here and there and that's how we're going to do culture well no that that's not what culture is you don't talk culture you do culture and I got the sense, and George is a no BS guy, um, that they've got something going there culturally that, again, is shocking because I think most of us thought a bunch of guys that were let go by their team going to Vegas, the party capital of the world, good luck (laughs) establishing a military-type structure within that locker room. Well, something's going on here. And, you know, I think they've been, they've hit on their coaches, obviously, have been outstanding. But it's not only coaches. They've got something going on there that, like anything, culture's like obscenity. You can't define it, but you know it when you see it and you feel it. And I, I got to believe they got something going there. Because everybody thought, too, don't forget, after that first year, ah, oh, the party's over. That'll never last. They'll all get full of themselves and think it's easy. And, and they just keep rolling. And then, you know, then management says, oh, there's Petrangelo. Let's go out and grab him. I mean, so um, I think that's the uh, that's always the underestimated. And, and again, particularly in today's era where a cap is designed to make everybody the same. And so the home runs, everybody's 500 and the big markets win at the end of the year. So that the, but culture, you're not allowed to attack that part. The system does not allow you to go after that. If you've got that in place, it, you know, you might lose a player and things, but culture will go beyond one or two players if you've got it in mm-hmm. place. Right. So, but isn't that – I was just going to say, Dean, you, and you talk about, I assume, that the, the, the connection between fit and culture, and that's what teams are striving for. But there has to be – you know, uh, how do you balance that against not becoming emotionally attached to, like, like Julian Breezewell is going to, you know, he's, there are some things he just won't be able to do b- because of the cap, but you know that he would have had a connection with players that he just assumed keep to help maintain that culture. But sometimes you, sometimes you have to pivot away from that. And I wonder, I mean, you've lived it and you, you see it now in, in the NHL, you know, in the, with the flat cap and maybe it's even worse now, but how do you balance, you know, what are you committing to fit and culture uh, and how hard it is with uh, it. And, the, and loyalty. The, and loyalty. loyalty. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. Uh, to me, it's all the same, but it, sometimes you maybe you can't be. I don't know. It, it just strikes me that would be a very difficult job for a GM to to wade through or difficult difficult dynamic. Yeah, uh, bingo. Um, you're right. I mean, again, there, there's that. And that's still, <laughs> you know, I, I this is one of the things I look back in my career and I remember um, – John McFay telling me this um, when he's with the 49ers. When I was in San Jose, I got to know, I was there when all those 49er teams, uh, those great teams, um, oh my God. And you walked around there and you saw Montana and Rice and Lott and you said, holy smoke. Again, you talk about that feeling of culture that you can't define. These men had something really special. And, and I remember uh, we won our first cup and we had the lockout. And I called uh, John and I said, you know, okay, tell me what happens now after you win a championship. And if you remember too, after the 49ers won their first championship, they almost had to blow that team up. 
because they went right to tank the next year, I believe. And John told me something I never forget. However, did not he? He said, Dean, I'm going to tell you something. Once you win, everything changes. And you're going to have to figure out just what you're talking about. That balance between loyalty, because you want your players to be loyal. And if you start shipping them out after they won, you're actually, you're a hypocrite. But there has to be some type of hybrid there where you can maintain the loyalty, but make the tough decisions. And he said, what I'm, and he gave me some examples. And he said, but just remember, everything changes. Your coaches change, your players change, and manage that and get them back on track. I can't explain to you what's like, but just be ready. And boy, was he right. And this is one thing, if I look back in my career, after we won the second cup, I didn't do a very good job. There, there's, you know, I look back and, you know, um, like you learn, I learned from San Jose, like I said, um, you know, when you get fired, you want to blame everybody else and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, regardless of whether you deserve to be fired, there's always things you could have learned and got, and got better. And eventually that's the way I looked at San Jose. And then, like I said, my three years with Parky, uh, um, I look back on that now, and I remember telling Chuck this. He says, you know, I, I can certainly uh, help now. But I'll tell you what, I think I'm going to be your biggest ally once we win. Because I made I did not do a good job after that second cup managing that things you're talking about, balancing loyalty with tough decisions. Um, I don't want to be a, a, a Bel- I didn't. I could never be a Belichick. I don't think I could go that far. Everybody points to the Patriots, you know, turn them and burn them. Um, I don't think I could do that. But I had, I should have, looking back, there were things, the tough decisions that are mostly emotional, right? They're not usually based upon the quality of the player or, you know, whether the guy's got character or, or whatever. There, there are these intangible decisions that on its face publicly might not look like they're seeing, but if you're close to your team and understand what you have to do to keep that ball rolling. Um, again, I look back and I say, you know what? It's, I wish I had another shot at that part because I did not do a good job in that area. But you're, but you're loyal to the guys that win, right? I mean, that's what's like. That's, that's, that's uh, right. I, I totally agree. I mean, hey, I was still living in the era of Bill Torrey. You know, I mean, again, it, it, when you grew up, you know, and you studied these guys, Sinden and Corey and, you saw how long those guys stuck together. But that, again, that was a different era. Um, and I agree with you. A, a big part of why we won is, you know, everybody talks family and everything else. But, um, yeah, we created that. I mean, we had a tremendous culture there. We were clearly a team. I mean, yep, we had some darn good players. But you look at a lot of those players who were the clutch cargos, the Stoles, the Justin Williams, the Willie Mitchells, uh, they really knew how to bring a team together. And um, so, and you're, you're preaching to Jersey all the time, right? Jersey's number one. Um, and, and, you're, and you're right. I mean, that, and that's my biggest problem. I mean, you know, like one guy told me that's a problem, you know, with you Italians. You think everything's like the mafia where everybody's got to be loyal to everybody. And you can't always do that when you're in this business. Um, but so on the one hand, the idea of creating loyalty to that jersey was a great 
no question, was instrumental in our success. On the other hand, it kind of bit me a little, and I, maybe I took it a little too far. Well, and now, and now Tampa's got some pretty tough decisions. It's going to be fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's good. It's a, Dean, I know you, you, you've, you've got to go and you've got meetings and stuff, but I, I got I have a question. I don't, I don't think we're, you know, we're speaking at a turn here, but it strikes me that you, you should have a book in you. And I wonder if, if that is, it, t- tell us, is that a, is that a possibility? Is there a, is there a Lombardi book? Because I, I would be the first to, to buy it. In fact, I'll put in an order right now if, if well, you I- do it. I'm hoping there's some freebies out there if that's the case. Wow. Yeah. I knew you would say that, but I, I'm willing to pay for mine. But is there, is that something? Well, have you got that in you? Well, a signed copy will cost Pierre double. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think we, we've talked about this a little. Um, to make a long story short, uh, I think you guys probably know me well enough. Um, um, you know, I, I'm the guy who liked, you know, I graduated with honors and things, not because I was brilliant, but I'm actually a guy who likes to learn. And I'm fascinated by a lot of things. And one of the things I found fascinating was the way that team came together. And then what happened after we had won the second cup and, and some of the things we had to fight through. Um, I've always been an avid reader and um, was trained as a lawyer. But I used to always go to bookstores on the road, and um, they became fascinated um, about six years ago on my fa- favorite bookstore in Vancouver of a book by Richard Dawkins called The Selfish Gene. And basically what's happened now in science, uh, what they're coming up with the last 30 years is fascinating, that there's a biological basis for our behavior, um, and that Certainly, culture can change the way we are biologically, but we have to start out with a premise of how we are biologically constructed. In the works they've done in genetics and evolutionary psychology, I just found fascinating. And um, so I started reading it and everything else. And and then, um, and and this took a lot of work, but again, I think, you you know, it's... um, yeah, if I got bored in, in GM's meetings, I used to start doing the physics tables just to keep my mind going. <laughs> um, and it took a lot of work to try and understand all the terms. Which I don't think you could do without the internet today. I mean, this is one classic case where the internet is an unbelievable tool versus playing video games. But, um, but what I was finding was if you really take a look at yourself and the way we are, it made a lot of sense, but you got to be like we tell our players, look yourself in the mirror, be honest with yourself and everything will take care of itself. Um, so one book led to another and um, I started sketching. I wanted to apply this to the locker room because I've seen so many books out there where GMs write books and they talk about their trades and everything. That's fine. But I wanted to do something different. And. I was started to put it together, and then lo and behold, I um, I ended up meeting Mark Emmerich, who's the head of the NCAA. I'm sure you probably heard of him. This guy's got his hands full right now, and uh, um, his wife and my wife ride horses, and we ended up going out to dinner. And I really didn't want to. I thought Mark was just another bureaucrat. And I'm going ah whatever. And then I find out we started talking, and he threw out uh, I think it was Hamilton, one of the 
one of these geniuses that had figured out uh, reciprocal altruism. And I go, you, you kidding me? You know these guys and Trivers and Wilson and Hamilton? He goes, yeah, I wrote my college uh, my doctorate on it. I go, you're kidding me. So I says, let me see that. So he gave me his doctorate, and it's 400 pages long. And what he did was he applied what I, what I was, this biological behaviorism to a corporate setting. I said, boom, there it is. That's the template I want, that I want to apply that to a locker room. And that's what I, you know, when I'm not working for the Flyers. That's my, uh, between that and moving cattle in Idaho, I think it's my, my biggest passion now outside of hockey. I find it fascinating. Um, it's a lot of work, but, um, you know, and that's part of our deal here that I agreed to come on this show, but you've got to be uh, one of my, you guys got to be my, what do you call it? The check my manuscripts and stuff. So that's the payoff. <laughs> All but, right. but anyway. I, I, I was going to say, if you, if you needed, if you needed a chapter in your book to, uh, to dumb down the narrative, <laughs> then, then dumb and dumber here means God can really help you out. Uh, because it sounds to me like when I read your, your book, I'm going to need someone to explain some of it to me. Uh, uh, but uh, I can't wait. Well, I know you've I been working on this for a long time. But the one thing I've always admired about you and Scott and a few of you, the way journalism has changed so much where um, I'm sorry, it's all about just headlines and bubblegum stuff. I mean, you and Scotty and a few of your other Confederates, are still real journalists where you can read something that's well-written, well-reasoned, and you might not agree with it, but at least it's backed up. It's not, it's not creating this hype and everything else. And you read the headline in the first paragraph. So I think you guys are becoming dinosaurs though, that you're actual journalists. But so um, when they put you out the pasture, you'll still have me. I'll hire you to, to proofread my stuff. I, I, I might need it. <laughs> don't 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 uh, don't put that carrot out without needing it. Yeah. That's it exactly. And 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 I'm pretty sure I can't speak for Pierre. I'm pretty sure it's not the first time we've been called dinosaurs. So it's uh, <laughs> I take it as a as a badge of honor. But Dean, it, it it it's always a treat to catch up. And really, um, so pleased for what you're. Uh, you know, your many projects and and good luck with the uh, the flyers and and all that lies ahead. But really, thanks for taking the time and and hanging out with us. We're I said to Pierre earlier in the podcast is that I already feel smarter and we haven't talked to Dean yet and and now I do feel smarter. So thank you for coming <laughs> and hanging out with us. Well, thanks, I'll, Dean. I'll I'll admit that you know because I I don't do media anymore. Um, it's not my job. I stay within my lane. But I I will say this: I miss you guys a little. Not a lot, <laughs> just a little. I, you know, once in a while, I'll think about you, but let's not get carried away here. So, true enough. You know, true so, enough. That's good so, stuff. That's a, that's a that's a great compliment coming from me. I, I feel it. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. Good stuff. All right, Dean. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Dino. Take care. Honestly, Pierre, we could have talked all day to Dean Lombardi, and and what a great uh, what a great get by you, and glad you you reached out to Dean and had him on. And and, and just before we take our uh, final break and and then wrap things up for this uh, two man advantage show, one of my favorite things, and and it's your story, but I've co opted it. Was it after the first cup win in twelve, or was it fourteen? And you couldn't fi- he didn't he had disappeared. Dean was he was nowhere to be so seen. So it was it was the first cup, and it was after they won the first cup in in twenty twelve, and. Uh, uh, and you and I had, had made a plan. We were both, of course, covering uh, 
the NHL for ESPN.com at the time. And, and you were going to do the overarching story and I was going to do the D Lombardi story, the, the architect. Cause it was a, you know, it was a very detailed rebuild that lasted several years and it culminated in, in that first cup for the organization. But when, <laughs> when we were on the ice and all the players are celebrating and the media is allowed on the ice to start interviewing players, there was no D Lombardi. Uh, he had, uh, I don't think he'll mind me sharing this. He had no. gone into a side room at the Staples Center to sneak a smoke <laughs> as, he, as he was wont to do. And I think probably a, a Bud Light or a Miller Light. Um, but he was also, when when one of the Kings PR people went to find him, he was surprised anyone wanted to talk to him. And that's genuine. That's how he is. He, yeah. he, you know, to him, that moment was for the players. And the players are supposed to do interviews and, and get all the credit. Uh, he didn't want any of it. And I will tell you another memory of, of when he finally came out and we dragged him out to come and do a scrum with a bunch of us in the media. He, before he took a question, he went out of his way uh, to thank all his predecessors who, um, you know, who had, who, who had, uh, you know, drafted Kopitar, yeah. uh, you know, referring to Dave Taylor. He, he wanted to make sure that, that he got that out of the way before he took questions, which again tells you about, you know, uh, how classy D. Lombardi is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, my friend. Any parting thoughts? I, I, my sense is between now and next week, we're going to tape next Thursday again before the start of the draft, which, of course, runs 23rd, 24th on Friday and Saturday, the expansion uh, draft. What do you think the next week's going to be like? Well, it'll be nutty. It'll be moves that we didn't see coming. Um, you know, I think that there will be more moves post-expansion draft than pre-expansion draft. I right. think some teams are not wanting to add to their protection list issues right now, which is affecting some of the trade talks, but we're still going to get trades before then. Um, so, yeah, it's just going to be a blurry two weeks, and then I disappear. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. What else have we got on going on? Jeremy Rutherford from the Athletic St. Louis joins Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian to discuss the latest trade rumors revolving around Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, we got Scott Wheeler, our national reporter, covering the NHL draft. Just a nice job that Scott does. And um, joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly this week on the Athletic Hockey Show Tuesday. And how about this? Check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to The Athletic Hockey Show on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for $3.99 a month. Pierre, excellent work by you and can't wait till we catch up next week and see where, where we're at. Good job. Right on, right on.